Good morning, church. Glory be until he takes us home. What a great day it is this morning, Reformation Sunday. Um, we've already had a great service in, this, in communion, call to worship, singing of songs, and we still have yet to hear God's word. And it's so special with communion. As was already mentioned, last Sunday we had five people baptized. And to be here this morning to celebrate communion with them, it's such a beautiful thing. So let us start this morning as we take a break from our series sermon in John. We'll be looking at Romans 1.17 from the viewpoint of one of the great reformers, Martin Luther. It'll be a bio, bio, biographical sermon. And keep in mind that God can use a sinful man such as Martin Luther with all his faults, all his shortcomings, all his sins, so that God can be glorified. Martin Luther was a prolific writer as he continuously published for 30 years. It is estimated that he wrote one to two treatises a month, which equated to 400 titles. I will also want to highlight some of the sources I've used to prepare for this sermon, which include Luther's own words, his sermons, James Montgomery Boyce, Martin Lloyd-Jones, R.C. Sproul, Thomas Schreiner, Steve Lawson, and our pastors. As Christians, we all have favorite verses, right? A few weeks ago, the, the pastors were, received plaques for a Pastor Appreciation Day, and inscribed on those plaques were our favorite verses. And so my favorite verse was John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This verse was so key to my salvation when I was at UCLA in my junior year. For David Livingston, it was Matthew 28, verse 20. For John Wesley, it was Zechariah 3, 2. But of all the texts in the Bible and all the great Christian men throughout history, Romans 1.17 stands out characteristically with such power, with such force that changed a man's life. It was Martin Luther. Which brings us to our text this morning, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Please open your Bibles. In the Pew Bibles, it is on page 939. And for context, I will be starting from verse 1 through 17. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at, least, at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your word, which is truth. We come now before you in the preaching of your word. Use this humble servant to give your word, to enlighten the eyes of those that don't believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I have a, a simple outline. Martin Luther's Roman Road. The righteous shall live by faith. Six points. The journey, alien righteousness, grace and blessing, the righteous shall live by faith, the stairs, and then the stand. Point number one, the journey. October 31st, 1517, 504 years ago this very day, Martin Luther, a professor of Bible at the University of Wittenberg, Germany, nailed his 95 theses to the front door of the castle church at Wittenberg. A former Augustinian monk protested the indulgences of the Catholic Church. Indulgences at this time, or indulgences where, where people would make payments to reduce the severity of time, punishment that heaven would require for payment for their sins. You can just really call it pay to play. You give me something, I give you something. Basically money in exchange for heaven. A works-based salvation. The nailing of the 95 Thesis, the singular event, possibly one of the greatest events since the Bible was the start of the Protestant Reformation. It was a time of great individuals that included the other pillar, John Calvin. It was a time where cultures and nations were greatly impacted. It was a time when the Word of God, sola scriptura, became forefront with the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the doctrines of grace. It was a time where they emphasized a high view of God. It was that God was supreme. He was the authority. And that salvation was entirely on the shoulders of God alone. Martin Luther, a great reformer, one of the greatest preachers of all time, because of the Reformation, it brought about a huge doctrinal 
dispute over justification. While there were other issues, none was as central as justification. Lucer said this of justification by faith alone. The article upon which the church stands or falls. Martin Luther knew that justification by faith alone was an essential truth of the gospel. R.C. Sproul said this about Martin Luther and the Reformers. One, justification by faith alone is essential to the gospel. Two, the gospel is essential to Christianity and to salvation. Three, the gospel is essential to a church being a true church. Four, to reject justification by faith alone is to reject the gospel and to fall as a church. In essence, when the church rejected the doctrine of faith alone, they rejected the gospel. They ironically rejected themselves as the true church. Luther says, the article of justification is the master and prince, the Lord, the ruler, and the judge over all kinds of doctrines. It preserves and governs all church doctrine and raises up our conscience before God. Without this article, the world is utter death and darkness. Martin Luther started university studying law. He was a great student, but was troubled about the thought that one day he would meet God and have to give an account where Jesus would judge him. At the age of 21, in August 17, 1505, Luther left the university and entered the Augustinian monastery at Erfurt. He didn't go to study theology, but to save his soul. He was a devoted, de determined through fasting, through prayer, menial tasks, penance, confession of even the smallest sins, he had the reputation of being a pious monk. For monks, they thought to satisfy God's demand for righteousness was to do good works. Luther thought, quote, but what works? What works can come from a heart like mine? How can I stand before the holiness of my judge with works polluted in their very source? You know, we all have certain people in our lives pointing us to Christ. For Luther, it was Johann von Staupitz, Catholic theologian, university preacher, vicar general of the Augustinian. Johann himself found peace, said this to Luther. Why do you torment yourself with all these speculations and these high thoughts? Look at the wounds of Jesus Christ. To the blood that he has shed for you, it is there that the grace of God will appear to you. Instead of torturing yourself on account of your sins, throw yourself into the Redeemer's arms. Trust in him, in the righteousness of his life, in the atonement of his death. Do not shrink back. God is not angry with you. It is you who are angry with God. Listen to the Son of God. But how could Luther do that? Johann said to Luther, in the Bible, in the Bible. 
Luther then began to study scripture, Romans, and in particular, this text, Romans 1, verse 17. Brothers and sisters, friend, have you ever had a question about life, salvation, the world, sin, who Jesus is? Look in the Bible, as Martin Luther did. Ask your friend who invited you. As we all say in our services, as Pastor Kenny mentioned, we want to tell you the truth. The Bible tells you the truth. In 1510, five years at the convent as a monk and three years teaching the Bible at the University of Wittenberg, Luther was ordered to go to Rome walking 1,000 miles. En route, he stopped at the Benedictine Monastery in Bologna, Italy, where he became very ill and went into a doom and gloom thought pattern over spiritual things. His sin troubled him and concerns about the judgment of God. He felt dreadful, but in his dark, troubling moment, he remembered the words of the Apostle Paul, the just shall live by faith. It was said that his verse recurred forcibly in his memory and enlightened his soul. Luther was learning to live by faith. Seeds were planted, comforted and healed. He resumed his journey to Rome. Our text this morning, Romans 1, verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This portion of the sermon is loosely following the first half of Luther's sermon, Two Kinds of Righteousness, and the scripture he quoted. Point number two, alien righteousness. What does the righteousness of God mean? In the context of the passage, to be clear, it is not an attribute of God's person or God's character. At times in the Bible, the term is used for God in that way. Yes, God is righteous. God is holy. He is everlasting. He is eternal. If the gospel was just the revelation of the holiness, justice, and righteousness of God, it would be the most frightful and scary experience that we would ever know. Luther wrestled to understand this. Luther said, quote, I labored diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's words in Romans 1.17, where he says, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. I sought long and anxiously for the expression. Luther thought it was a description of God's character and being. It was a stumbling block to Luther's salvation where he said that he wished that he didn't know the gospel. But a light bulb went on. Luther realized the meaning of righteousness. This righteousness is outside of ourselves Luther called it an alien righteousness. When we think of aliens, we think of it totally outside of this world, such as the movies Aliens, E.T., Close Encounters, or what kids watch today, Stranger Things. Righteousness 
something that is totally foreign. It is a righteousness of Christ which he justifies through faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Notice the verb became. This is key. This wisdom, this righteousness is from God. And in verse 31, the believer can only boast in the Lord because their righteousness is from him. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, believers become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The believer receives this righteousness because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Christ himself, which he, Christ himself, which we studied last week, said this, John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And later we'll be studying my favorite verse, John 14, 6, the other I am. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This righteousness is given to men at conversion. Luther would say that this righteousness is a great and precious gift in Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may also, that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It is clear that this righteousness is from God through faith in Christ. Philippians 3.8.9, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This righteousness from God is a free gift from him. Not a human, fleshly righteousness that is based on works. Not a righteousness based on the law. The best we can do is garbage. It is a righteousness not from ourselves. Nothing that we did because it is a righteousness from God outside of ourselves. This is point number two, an alien righteousness from God. Point number three, grace and blessing. When Adam and Eve first sinned, great sorrow and hardship came. Man's nature was corrupted, and his bent was towards evil. Because of sin, we can't obey God without 
God's intervention. But God intervened with good news. Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the grace and blessing, the first prophecy of Christ. The promise of grace and blessing continue with Abraham, that all the nations will be blessed through him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, who, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." We are reminded of this grace and blessing as we approach Christmas. For Isaiah 9:6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a Savior, a Son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Christ, the Messiah. Notice again the repetition, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Grace and blessing in the fulfillment of prophecy in the birth of Christ. In Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All that is Christ, he graciously gave for us. As sinners, we are already in the hole. That is, we're condemned and deserve the wrath of God. Instead, we receive Christ himself. Christ came to do the will of the Father. John 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Christ did the will of the Father. He did it as an obedient servant. Luke 22, verse 27. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. And Luke 22, verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why did he do it for us? Because of our sins. Isaiah 43, verse 24. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Our iniquities encompass every sin, past, present, and future. No one is without excuse, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whether it is a white lie, cheating on your taxes, lying about your work status, you are a sinner. Key point here. But 
because of the promise of Christ. Through faith in Christ, Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. For in it, and this is the gospel, the good news, the it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Martin Luther initially hated this verse because he originally thought that the righteousness of God as an act of justice that punishes sinners. He hated the righteousness of God in this context. He then understood the true meaning of the verse in that righteousness of God is received as a gift by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. It was here he realized that a sinful man is not saved by works, but that righteousness of Christ, but the righteousness of Christ is imputed to sinners based on their faith alone. Luther said this, Through faith in Christ, therefore, Christ's righteousness becomes ours. Rather, he himself becomes ours. This is the righteousness of God. It is a righteousness that is imparted to the sinner who believes. God counts us as having his righteousness. That we have a right standing before God as forgiven, acquitted sinners without guilt. Even while we are yet sinners, God imputed his righteousness to us. Romans 3.28 For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This faith is the righteousness of God apart from works. As works won't save you. Luther says this, the righteous, This righteousness is primary. It is the basis, the cause, the source of all our own righteousness. For this is the original righteousness given in place of the original righteousness lost in Adam. With the coming of Christ, so is the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. This alien righteousness from God is, a, is given to us through Christ. Christ is the source of this righteousness. Point number three, this is God's grace and blessing to us. Point number four, the righteous shall live by faith. So what does it mean when it says, is revealed from faith for faith? An easier translation for is revealed is from God. So replace is revealed with from God. But what about the part that says from faith for faith? The New American Standard says from faith to faith. Rarely do I use the NIV, but it's easier to understand, as it says, from first to last. Pastor Kevin, when he preached on this passage in our sermon series in Romans, he said, it is a faith that is faith from start to finish. Let me repeat that. It is a faith that is faith from start to finish. It is a faith from the beginning to a faith at the end. You start with a saving faith, this alien faith, this passive faith, and you continue in your faith. This is a living and active faith. It is a pursuing faith. It is 24-7, a faith that is moment by moment. True conversion begins with a genuine faith, and it continues. It progresses. It progresses. It is a faith that moves. 
It is a walking faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is quoting from Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. It is also quoted in Galatians 3.11 and Hebrews 10.38. What Paul is saying is that the righteous man, the man that is righteous, because of God's gift of righteousness, shall live by faith. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Because of a relationship with Christ, it is to live by faith, in trusting him, in loving him. The righteous man living by faith is not one and done, not by just going to church on Christmas and Easter. It is perseverance, no matter the challenges, the temptations, the difficulties, the rejections, the persecutions, the mandates. By faith, we're living through this mandate, through this pandemic. When COVID hit last year in March, there were all these issues surrounding health, shutting down businesses, Masks, social distancing, shutting down churches. It was a frightful time. I remember driving down Hawthorne Boulevard and, you know, during midday, there's no cars. I, I, I literally started crying. But by God's grace, the elders of the church, through the study of scripture, through prayer, and realizing that our king is the Lord, and that he is above all earthly kings and governments, and that he is to be worshipped in person. Anyone remember what happened on uh, May 30th, 2020? By faith, Redeemed South Bay reopened the church for in-person worship. It was a hard decision, but it was the only and right decision And who was preaching that Sunday? Moi. <laughs> and, you know, for me, it was, you know, I'm going to be on camera. I'm going to be on record for breaking the government mandates. And then we had two services at that time. I almost didn't want to preach. But by faith, we honor our Lord by worshiping him and by the preaching of God's word that day, this day, and the days to come. So we press on by faith, whenever, wherever, as long as we have breath. It is a faith that never fails. It is a faith that moves forward. It is a faith that impacts your whole Christian life, in sickness, in health, in your neighborhood, at school, at home, at work, at church, It is a faith that impacts your relationships in your marriage, singleness, with your parents, your siblings, your newborn, your boss, your co-workers. And to quote Pastor Kevin again, by escaping death, by escaping the wrath of God, the righteous live by trusting God. We live by faith.
Point number four, the righteous shall live by faith. Point number five, the stairs. Rome, Luther saw all the sites of the artifacts, the buildings, the shrines, the churches. In the church of St. John Lateran, there's a set of medieval stone stairs that were said to have been the original stairs leading to Pilate's house in Jerusalem, once walked upon by the Lord. These stairs were called the holy stairs. It was a custom to ascend the steps on your knees, praying as they ascended. At certain steps, there, there were stains said to be have caused by the bleeding wounds of Christ. Worshippers would bend over and kiss the steps, praying. It was promised that years of punishment would be removed from purgatory for those who would do the ritual. But as Luther started ascending the steps, the words again from Paul came to mind forcefully, the just shall live by faith. Over and over it came to his mind. Luther was living by fear and not by faith. In his mind, James Montgomery Boyce writes, by fears, thought Luther. By faith, said Paul. By fear, said the Catholic teaching. By faith, said the scriptures. By fear, for those others on the staircase. By faith, said God the Father. Luther rose from those steps and realized that God saved him by the righteousness of Christ received by faith. He was to exercise his faith and live by trusting God. On Martin Luther's conversion, he wrote this, quote, At first I clearly saw that the free grace of God is absolutely necessary to attain to light and eternal life, and I anxiously and busily worked to understand the word of Paul in Romans 1.17. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. I questioned this passage for a long time and labored over it. For the expression, righteousness of God, barred my way. This phrase was customarily explained to mean that the righteousness of God is a virtue by which he is himself righteous and condemned sinner. In this way, all the teachers of the church, except Augustine, had interpreted the passage. They had said, the righteousness of God is the wrath of God. But as often as I read this passage, I wish that God had never revealed the gospel. For who could love a God who was angry, who judged, and condemned people? This misunderstanding continued until, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, I finally examined more carefully the word of Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. From this passage, I concluded that life must be derived from faith. Then the, holy, then the entire Holy Scripture became clear to me, and heaven itself was open to me. Now we see this brilliant light very clearly, and we are privileged to enjoy it abundantly. Luther realized that a sinful man such as he is not saved by good works or deeds, rather that the righteousness of Christ is imputed on a sinner based on faith alone. The problem is not with God, but with ourselves. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness surpass, suppress the truth. 
this message of justification by faith and biblical teachings, preaching, and writings of Luther clearly clashed with the Roman Catholic Church's teachings from the, their pope, from the pope and their leaders. On June 15, 1520, Pope Leo issued an edict that declared if Luther didn't repent, he would be excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church. But Luther kept on writing. He wouldn't back down. Point number one, the journey. Point number two, alien righteousness. Point number three, grace and blessing. Point number four, the righteous shall live by faith. Point number five, the stairs, which brings us to our last point, the stand. And I'll conclude with this. On April 18, 1521, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V demanded that Luther appear before the imperial diet in Worms to recant. With Luther's writing on the table, this is how he responded. Since your most serene majesty and your high mightiness requires of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the council, because it is as clear as noonday that they have fallen into error and even into glaring inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, I, have, I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For it cannot be safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. I do want to share with you, as I mentioned during COVID, that here at Redeemed South Bay, we got a notice from LA County last year the city of Torrance. We got maybe like three or four of these. Let me read what it, what it says here. Alleged violations, church employees not wearing face coverings for indoor services. Amen. <laughs> Alleged violation, attendees not wearing face coverings. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are worshiping our Lord with voices in song and praise. Violation number three, overcrowded church due to lack of monitor at entrance. Amen. Praise the Lord. We are packing the Lord's house. He deserves to be praised as God alone, to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. <laughs> to paraphrase Martin Luther, if he was to respond in, to L.A. County, he'd, he'd say this. We redeem South Bay neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for Christians to speak against our conscience. Here we stand. We cannot do otherwise. God help us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, thank you for this wondrous morning as we celebrate you, our God, our Father. We're so excited to hear the preaching of your word in Romans 1.17. Lord, use us this day. Thank you for the teaching in this passage. 
that the righteous shall live by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.